welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Lure, and I'm excited to have a guest on the line here, again from the U.S., Mr. David Abritton from Bruin Sports Capital. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you, Marcus. It's great to be here. No, thank you. Uh, it's a morning here in Kuala Lumpur, so I'm sitting here with my coffee, and I guess you have a bit of a later evening there in your part of the world. But as we always kick off, first of all, well, let me quickly introduce you a little further, um, and then we get into your storytelling there. So David had a very illustrious career. I would call you a bit of a hockey man there, in, especially in your early days, uh, and I believe you're still involved in it, so you can tell us a bit about that later. Um, but I think you started with the Washington Capitals, um, and then you spent some time also with the NHL in your, in your hockey days, I guess. And then you had a very illustrious career with IMG for 15 years, uh, and we'll dig deep into that side of it. And of course, now you're with Bruin Sports Capital, which is another great and exciting topic we, touch, we will touch on. So, David, tell us a bit of how you got into this world. Um, I looked at your, uh, your, uh, your LinkedIn profile, and, and I think it's around the same time when I started the business as well. So I think we're probably in a sort of similar space here. So please, love to hear how you got into it. Yeah, no, certainly. I, I think my my story of entry into the in the industry is is, is similar to many in in that um, you know I started off as an intern um, back in my junior year of uh, college or, or university, depending on on where you are in the world, mm-hmm. and you know had the opportunity to uh, also similar to many people. Uh, one of my dad's um, tennis buddies uh, happened to be the vice president of, uh, or senior vice president of marketing for the Washington Capitals. And, um, knowing I was a fan and and had an interest in, in marketing and sports, um, was, uh, able to intern during my junior year uh, of college over the summer and, you know, work in the, in the back room supporting the, the sales staff and, and got a window into what it was like to work inside of a professional sports team organization, which externally you have this, um, you know, perception of, of what it may be like and, you know, how big and, and all the exciting things that, that you anticipate. Yeah. Um, and had the good fortune to realize that, you know, it is, um, while it's big, it's, it's more family-like in many respects. And it was a, a small organization where I got exposure to, to different parts of uh, the business from sales to marketing to communications and, and even a little bit of hockey operations. And uh, for me, the, the light bulb went off that not only could um, you uh, have an interest in, in those things, but in something that you know I was passionate about as a sports fan and my interest in those things from a business standpoint probably mattered more than I was a fan. But um, that's when the light bulb went off and I said, geez, wouldn't it be great to <laughs> to, to maybe get a job when I graduated, and sure enough, uh, I did a nice enough job during my internship, um, and uh, was uh, was told that um, when the time came when I graduated, uh, if I wanted to start my career in the back room selling tickets, that uh, that opportunity was available to me. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's kind of that's kind of how it all began. I love it. Yeah, and and I've heard this several times. You know, Scott O'Neill, which I'm sure you know well, um, yeah. he has a similar story. You know, how he started with an NFL team in the sort of back room, uh, similar way. So uh, yeah, I think many of us uh, start that way. And I, and I always point that out to you know uh, the sort of the younger generations here who may be studying sports right now that. Uh, that is a great way of doing it. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, now, but then you you ended up at the the Sports Business Daily, which obviously is still around till today. Um, you know, leading publication really, you know, in the U.S. for sports. Um, how do you get in there, and and what was your role there? 
Yeah, so I think the, the the transition to the sports business daily is also something that I think other people who've who've had a, a career in the industry found uh, along their own journeys, and that's that while I was working at the Capitals, um, I I'd gotten to. Uh, interact with a gentleman by the name of Ed Quinlan, who is uh, the head of communications for the team and, and got to know him a little bit. And somebody had reached out to him uh, who was looking for uh, some, you know, young, hungry, um, you know, salesperson to help support um, an idea for a new sports business publication um, that was, you know, coming into the marketplace. And Ed called me into his office one day and, and you know, nicely said I was, I was doing a, a great job there. And, and although um, he, he knew I enjoyed myself, you know, there was this person that he wanted to meet that had this great idea for a sports industry trade publication and was looking for a, a young, hungry salesperson. And, you know, he thought of me and made the introduction to Jeffrey Pollock. And, um, you know, I met with Jeffrey and, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we, we kicked it off and ultimately as, uh, Jeffrey got, got ready to go and, and, and get the business launched, he, uh, reached out to me and, and asked if I would be interested in, in coming on board and, you know, helping lead the sales effort to, uh, a, a trade publication that was attempting to take on, uh, the business side of sports. And in 1994, uh, the company Jeffrey founded was the Digital Sports Network, which back then the internet was not as prevalent as it is today. And in fact, the publication launched via uh, fax machine for the most part. The daily was 14 pages delivered by fax right around one o'clock every afternoon. And um, to me, one of the things that was attractive about it was that it was in this you know digital space. Um, it was in the business of sports, and you know Jeffrey. Um, was a sharp young person and, you know, he knew a lot of different people in the sports industry. And I thought that, you know, that sounded interesting enough to me. And I wasn't afraid of making a hundred phone calls a day because that's what I'd been doing, trying to sell tickets mm. and decided to, um, you know, go take the leap, um, and, and, and see if I can make a difference there. Um, and so I, I transitioned out of the NHL right before the, the first labor issue that they had in the 1994 season and uh, switched gears to the sports business daily. And at the time, baseball had uh, canceled the World Series for a labor dispute. The, the NHL was having its challenges and, and soon thereafter, the NBA would as well. And so the business of sports was thrust onto the front pages uh, of not only newspapers, but the front of the sports pages. So our timing um, was, I guess, fortuitous, although at the expense of, uh, you know, the, the challenges with, with collective bargaining and, and all the issues associated with that. But if you could pick a time to launch a sports business trade publication, that, that probably was it. Right. Okay. I didn't realize that you were part of the, the, the founding team in that sense. That's awesome. Uh, so that, that, that must have been a really exciting time. So how many, it was just, uh, how many people were a part of it? Just a couple of yeah, so you guys? There, there yeah, there's, and some of them are still great friends of mine today. Abe Madcor um, is actually still um, leading the charge as the editorial director for not only the Daily, oh. but the Journal as well. Um, one of the original staff writers um, was Chuck Todd, who um, people in the American audience would now know as the leading political correspondent on uh, NBC network. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, there was a team of staff writers and, you know, there was a, a marketing team of myself and, and one other person. So it was, you know, 10 or 11 people working out of a small townhouse in Alexandria, Virginia, trying to, you know, carve out our 
place in the minds and in the in the fax machine inboxes uh, at the time of you know sports industry executives mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was uh, you know it was a fascinating entrepreneurial experience to be part of building something that today uh, we look back on fondly the, a the fact that it's still there and b that it, it, it's become the invaluable resource that it has in the industry you know particularly from a U.S. perspective. Absolutely, yeah. So, but it sounds like you were really this in the sales side of it, right? And and uh, does that translate then into your next role? Then with IMG, was it really that you you were seen as someone who knew how to sell, and obviously you were probably build a very large Rolodex at that time uh, with networks? How did you transition then into into the IMG role? Yeah. So you know, fortunately, Jeffrey was a, a wonderful you know boss, and and we're now great friends, and and have more of a brother relationship. Um, then, 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 uh, you know, peer to, to, to boss, if you will. And Jeffrey took me under his wing, you know, he was a young guy and his vision for the daily was, was, um, you know, well before its time. And, and I think the fact that it's still here proves out the validity of what his vision was that not only could you have a daily publication, but back then, you know, some of the things we did, we, we were the first business, uh, content providers for ESPN sports zone, which then, evolved ESPN.com. We did a special customized publication called the NBA Daily that was a, a daily resource for um, Commissioner Stern and the executives at the NBA and the teams building off the same model. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I traveled the sports industry at, at Jeffrey's side, um, you know, learning the business and making relationships and, and really were having a, a wonderful experience. But um, came to realize after almost, um, you know, nearly four years, uh, that I was in the business of publishing. And for me, I'd always wanted to be in the, the sports marketing side of the business Mm. and over time and, and, um, some changes at the daily, uh, when it was time to think about the next step in my journey, there were really two organizations, um, that, that I talked to, uh, first was, um, the NHL, um, and then second was uh, IMG, and that, those were through relationships. Um, I think most people know that you know Jeffrey's brother is is Gary Bettman, who's the commissioner of the National Hockey League. And you know one of the reasons that I felt the the, the risk of the daily was worth it was that in the in the worst case scenario, maybe I'd get a job at the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, fortunately, in, in my case, um, the daily succeeded, but also led to me having an opportunity to go work at the NHL. Right. And, um, you know, be in the league office on the marketing partnership side and learn how to market a major professional sports league and learn how to interact and, and how the sponsors um, utilize that platform. And so I worked on Nike and Nortel Networks and Wendy's and, and several other uh, mm-hmm. corporate partners inside the league. So uh, that was a really attractive opportunity for me. So right. I, I left the publishing world and went into the, you know, one of the four major sports leagues um, and, and got a, a front row education after spending three years learning about the business as a whole, um, what it would take to be successful, uh, you know, inside a major professional sports league. Um, so so it was uh, a great experience. I had the opportunity to work with you know, Rick Dudley at the time was the head of NHL Enterprises. He's now the longtime head of Octagon. Um, you know, Ed Horn, who who I worked with um, and for at the at the NHL, and then ultimately we worked again together in my IMG days. Uh, so people and relationships, uh, I'm still proud to have today, and it was the the right next step for me. And then ultimately, 
um, you know, two years, uh, nearly two years into it, the, the gentleman who I had spoken to at IMG, Gary Jacobus by name, called me and said, look, I know you're doing a great job at the NHL. It's a wonderful place. I, I know you're a hockey fan and I'm sure you could have a great career there, but I'm, you know, unlike uh, a couple years early, earlier when he, he wasn't really in a position to, to bring me in, he now was and had suggested that coming into the global organization that IMG was founded by Mark McCormick and um, with a remit around the world of global sport, um, building a consulting business inside that um, could be something that would be really exciting. And he thought I could you know, do really well at, at helping um, the small team of people that had been assembled to do that. Um, and so as hard as it was for me to, to leave a sport that I love and a, and, a, and a group of people that I was really learning from, um, the entrepreneurial uh, experience I had at, 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 at the Daily um, and the potential to do that on a global scale at IMG, um, which is uh, founded by Mark McCormick, who had a, 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 a real sincere interest in the consulting group, was, was too much to, to pass up. So. Um, I then I then decided to, to leave the NHL after um, my time there and and, and, and jump into the to, to the fabulous world of IMG. Yeah, I mean, and, and IMG we all know is is uh, it's been one of those legendary companies. Um, I read all of Mark's books. Um, I, I always had an interesting. I, I think I had a love hate relationship with IMG, um, and I'll give you the short version why. Uh, I think it was uh, as I said, I admired Mark and all the things he's done, of course. Uh, but of course, they are the the big, you know, 800-pound gorilla most of the time in the room. So um, as a smaller agency here in Asia, um, my job always was trying to beat you <laughs> or trying to beat IMG yeah. at that time, right? <laughs> and so that was really what drove me, interesting enough. I, I was very passionately about trying to, uh, you know, take business away from IMG. Um, in my early, I, think I would say the first 10 years of, of, the, of TSA, um, that's really what drove me. Um, I think later on I realized there's ways to also work together. You don't always have to fight with everyone, um, you know, but you'll learn, I guess. You know, but I had, uh, I had as much admiration for the group as I, uh, I wouldn't say the word hated it, but I, I did see him as the uh, sort of enemy we had to beat. Uh, so, but you were obviously inside, so that, uh, that was probably a different look, uh, looking at little mosquitoes like us out here. Now, how did you... Uh, how did you sort of, um, you know, going from being really in the sales world and, you know, going in the consulting world, again, was your job mostly to go find clients and then someone else would do the consulting or how was the business structured and, and no. how it all started? Yeah, no, it was, a, it was a combination and that was part of what was attractive. You know, I, in my years at the, at the Sports Business Daily and then further on at, at the NHL, you know, I, I'm a voracious learner. Um, and, and I think in my, my time at the daily, I, I had a, essentially, an, a, you know, a real time, real world MBA as we were building the business and making relationships and, and, and understanding what made the global sports ecosystem function, everything from finance to media, to sponsorships and marketing partnerships. And, you know, if you're going to be a voice for the industry, you better be able to speak critically about the issues. And that was one of the things that was at the core of, uh, of, of Jeffrey's, you know, philosophy for the company. So, mm. 
I ended up getting, um, you know, a, a front row education on a lot of that. And, and similarly at the NHL and working with some of the biggest brands in the world, Nike's and Wendy's, uh, Nortel Networks, Coke was a sponsor and the league itself was a was a it was a global enterprise. So um, to be able to translate that to a, you know, helping sign clients to help grow the consulting practice and to be able to do that with the institutional knowledge behind you of the the worldwide network at IMG was a, a very powerful proposition. And, you know, Mark had, had recognized that and, and realized that um, if if he created a group that had the independence to operate and and really function as advisors to the biggest spenders in sports, um, certainly they would spend on 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 assets and investments that had nothing to do with IMG, but chances were because they also um, represented so many things around the world that some of that money would, would likely end up in, in assets and businesses that IMG represented. So it was a win-win. So my mm -hmm. job in the early days was, was help sign clients. And then when we did sign clients, um, you know, help them navigate and, and secure their contracts and then ultimately build activation and marketing and strategy um, behind all of that. And you do that with the benefit of all the resources and scale and insights that existed inside uh, the world leader that, that IMG was at, was at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I personally love the consulting part of the business. Um, unfortunately, here in Asia, not everyone always likes to pay money for it right away. <laughs> for yep. you, have yep. to do, you have to do a slightly different uh, business model. So, but in the U.S. and Europe, of course, it is uh, way more established and therefore I, it was, it's easy to see. Um, now, the, the clients you were working with, was it mostly um, the, the brands looking at investments in, let's say, sports and you guys would help them? Or you were also uh, consulting to the IP owners, you know, the, the leagues, et cetera? No, we were brand side consulting um, inside of the IMG ecosystem. So, you know, Philips and Verizon and, you know, over time, Kia and Marriott and USAA and, right. you know, there were you know, Visa and, you know, there were 50 clients around the world that, that, you know, we, we ended up representing, uh, you know, over my time and, 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 and the last seven years when I was leading the group. Um, and, you know, it gave, it gave us the, the, the opportunity to, to really create subject matter expertise and help people navigate the global world of sport. And if you were a sponsor like the Royal Bank of Scotland and, and you were thinking of using golf as a platform, um, the benefits of aligning with the institutional knowledge of IMG were far superior than that of others, um, in our view, and, and it helped build um, a great practice um, around the world in you know everything from Olympic sponsors to World Cup sponsors, and you know stick and ball sports in the United States, and similarly with rugby um, and football and and cricket and you know other sports that were germane to different pieces of the global ecosystem, and you know that's the benefit of the scale that. Um, we were able to build over time inside the IMG universe. When I got to the group, we were, you know, 11 people and, you know, ultimately Andy Pierce, who, who is, uh, you know, similarly now one of my great friends, um, you know, we, we built a, a group together with a large group of people um, that, you know, was, was something really special to be a part of. Yeah. And, and uh, the uh, in terms of how would when you when you speak to clients right and, and they're hiring you at the end of the day, how do you make sure that they don't believe you're just pitching IMG's properties? You know, I make sure that must have come up a few times. 
Yeah, no, I'm laughing a little bit because that, that was <laughs> if I was a competitor of IMG, I, I would certainly exactly. attempt to take that approach. But um, we had a great way of, of, of um, you know, marginalizing, you know, that, that, that negative selling, if you will, by the competition. One, first and foremost, when you're in the business of representing your client's interests, the quickest way to uh, lose their trust and confidence is to recommend things that, that, that don't fit and to you know, go in and recommend the figure skating property while they may be after a male, a male audience in, in a certain yeah. part of the world. That, that would be the quickest way that, that you could find yourself no longer um, working there. And in fact, um, I, I think the scale of IMG worked t- to their advantage because you had insights and knowledge um, not that anyone was sharing information that shouldn't be shared, but you obviously absorb a lot of that. And so um, it was very easy to, to, to say, hey, you know, if you just hire IMG, all they're going to do is sell you their stuff. But it, the reality is more often than not, the hardest sales that that were attempted to be made were those in, in other divisions of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the tennis division, the golf division, the fashion group, I mean, they all had great properties and some of the best salespeople in the world. But if it didn't fit, um, I think that's part of what was was so important that Mark, um, who it was, you know, a career thrill of mine to have had the opportunity to interact with him in, in the early days when I was there because he was taking an interest in the power of what this group might be able to do as the world of sports marketing was evolving. Um, and he empowered us to do the right thing for our clients. Um, and, and that's um, first and foremost, as a as a person who who built a business on representing the interests of our clients, Mark understood that our clients, in the case of the corporate consulting division, were the corporations. And um, if you upset them in a negative way, that was not going to bode well for the totality of the organization. So it was Absolutely. pretty easy to debunk that that myth, if you will, that all IMG was going to do was sell you their stuff. Well, that's a good answer. <laughs> now, I'd love to talk a bit about Mark McCormick. Um, I've interviewed Donadell, um, David uh, uh, Falk, and you know a couple other legends, which you know you could sort of almost put a little bit maybe in the similar space. Um, but I've never had a chance to unfortunately meet Mark. Um, uh, so, and you just mentioned you obviously work with him in, in some capacity. Tell me a bit about him. You know, how was he? Was he difficult, hard, easy? You know, what's the sort of what was his style? Yeah, I think, you know, from from my exposure to him and the meetings we had and and the way that, you know, he also took the time to, you know, once a month when he was coming through New York, they would host dinners with a a cross section of people across the company. And I I think Mark was was passionate about his his love of business and his love of the company and wanted to share his learnings and teachings often uh, as he could. And he certainly did in, in the number of books he wrote. And, you know, in my interactions with him, um, uh, you know, he was he was tough but fair. And it, it's no surprise having had the opportunity to to be in some meetings with him where at a very high level he was, you know, communicating and engaging, you know, senior management at, at companies that we were talking to um, and, and to witness that firsthand and apply all of the lessons that, you know, he espoused in, um, you know, in his books. And when when you were had, had the opportunity and privilege to be with him. Um, it, it was it was really special. Uh, you know, he was focused. He he had a, a mission for every day. I, I think if you talk to other people, you, you know, Mark was, um, you know, famous for you know keeping lists of things that he, he wanted to talk to people on on these note cards that he would carry around. And, you know, he was known to 
to you know call various executives at IMG and, and certainly not me, but the people I work for, Andy Pierce, and you know go over certain things on a on a daily basis or weekly or monthly. And you know he was as committed to the business and his clients as as anyone. And the passion that he had for that is is something that you know sticks with me still today. Um, and I think it's what fueled uh, a lot of IMG's growth. And Mark believed in hiring talented people. Um, and giving them um, the opportunity to, to go pursue things and, and, and do it in a way that worked for the collective group. And, and that spirit and that DNA um, was, was part of IMG, and it's what made it such a special place to work. And it's why that there are so many people in companies around the industry today that are, that are part of the you know, IMG alumni network, if you will. And I was fortunate to you know, have the opportunity in my 15 years there, certainly in the early years, um, you know, Bob Kane and Peter Johnson and Barry Frank and Alistair Johnson. And, you know, these are these are legends in their field. And Mark assembled them and got them all to work together and collaborate on building a great business. And I think that's a understated part of uh, the skill set that he brought to the to a, a highly competitive industry that everybody works so well together internally. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, there's no doubt there's a huge legacy there um, and spinoffs, maybe mini IMGs all around the world. Uh, uh, was he more of a listener or a talker? Uh, I, I'd love to hear, understand that. Um, I would say he was more of a listener. And when he spoke, he certainly spoke with purpose and intent. Um, and, and I remember uh, if you read McCormick on negotiating, one of, one of the things he 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 Expoused was you know sometimes people like to talk to fill the silence, mm. and when they talk they're they're giving away points that that may be used against them. So he was comfortable um, listening, and, and and when he spoke, he, he tended to speak with purpose and intent. And I think that's, uh, that's a hallmark awesome. of some of our greatest leaders and and, and businessmen in, in in history. Absolutely. Now before we move on, uh, let's uh, you know because I think it's a great way to transition is uh, obviously you know more, you know the untimely demise. Of Mark, of Mark, uh, brought in Ted Fosterman in the company. Um, private equity now coming in, and from all the things I remember during that period of time, of course, watching it from the outside, uh, it changed the company quite a bit. Um, I think you know things, uh, the way the company operated, it, it, it appeared it became a lot more bottom line driven, right? A lot of the fat maybe got cut out. Uh, et cetera. Talk, talk, you know, and you were, I believe you were still there during that time. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, tell us a bit about that transition and how, uh, you know, how private equity IMG looked like all of a sudden. Yeah, look, I, I think this is one of those things where, you know, unless you're on the inside and part of it, um, it's, it's, it's really hard to understand truly what happened. And, mm -hmm. and the way that I describe it is that Mark was a you know, a, a founding <clears throat> CEO and 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 built a team and people and had a vision um, for for building the company um, that led it to its place as a global leader. And um, when you have a, a sole proprietor, if you will, with with a long term vision and platform, um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And you know, when the company transitioned into Ted Forsman and the business discipline of, of of private equity. Certainly, there there was a change in in vision and and not in, in a negative way. I would say it was a more positive way that you know with business discipline, um, as great as IMG was with a forty year history, um, you know Ted passionately believed that its greatest days were were ahead and mm. and just like mark believed its greatest days were ahead they just looked at it through a different lens so the business discipline that came in 
um, that led to, you know, over a, a nearly 10 year period, um, the evolution of the company. And at a time when Mark died, when, when people were unsure of what was going to happen to IMG, um, not only did it survive, but it thrived and, and became an even better, more dominant company as a result of the business discipline that Ted Forsman um, and, and the others, you know, George Pine among them that came in and led the evolution of IMG Academy, led the evolution of various business units, consulting and licensing, um, led to the creation of IMG College, the furthering of the IMG media business. Um, and, and all those years later um, led to a, a tremendous exit, which validated um, you know, Ted's vision and the vision of George and the others that were part of the leadership team um, that that evolution could be a positive thing. And I think without that business discipline, um, you know, the, the company probably still would have been great. But, you know, we had the benefit and good fortune with sound leadership and, and financing to back explosive growth of, of, a, of a global company. And that was a, a tremendous thing to be a part of because the company excelled and, and really um, you know, really became, you know, as many refer to it, IMG 2.0 was a, was a highly successful exercise. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, the way you talk about it and, and whatever, you know, what people, I guess you can see from the outside, it, it definitely uh, uh, appears that way. Um, and it almost sounds like it, it was the perfect, uh, maybe uh, test, uh, test bed or, or starting ground for what you guys are doing now, right? I mean, if you think of what Bruin Sports Capitalism, what at least what I can see is, you're looking for those type of companies, right, um, which are having a good and strong track record and making them better, right, by bringing in these sort of disciplines. So maybe that's a great way for us to segment into the Bruin sports capital world. Um, you know, how do you see your learning from, from IMG and of clearly what, what George did um, and what you guys are now doing and the large picture? And then we'll drill into more of the specifics of, uh, of what BSC is doing. Yeah, no, look, I think, you know, you know, George, um, you know, is, is, um, you know, I've been very fortunate, you know, we've been together now 16 years and, you know, my last, you know, seven at IMG work, you know, directly for him running, running the business unit. And, mm -hmm. you know, George is, is relentless in, in his pursuit of business excellence. Right. And, you know, he, he learned that in, in various parts of his career and, and certainly brought that to IMG with the discipline of business planning and using acquisitions to expand and grow the various businesses that, that he was responsible for. And, um, you know, when, when it became time to, 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 to push out on his own, George had a vision um, based on his experiences in working with Ted and understanding how to, you know, create value over time for investors mm -hmm. and, and thought that um, starting something that, you know, would be family-like in, in its approach uh, with, with strong backing that given our uh, myself and George and Tony Crispino, who was also with us at IMG, and then you know Jeff Roth, who's also our partner, who um, you know helped George raise the money when he was at Allen Company, and you know we needed someone to to you know handle our our M and A work, and and George asked Jeff to do that, and you know it's a, it's a powerful team that that brought a, a tremendous amount of practitioners' experience and insight into the investment world with a focus on, you know, media, lifestyle, uh, marketing services in, in, in its broadest definition. And we've been, we've been doing it 
now for six years. And George's vision was very simple. It was let's find great businesses that are run by great people, that are platforms that by virtue of two things um, can, can, can perhaps achieve great results. One would, would be you know, knowledge and insight from our experience and doing everything from selling tickets and sponsorships and building brands and, and managing media rights and you know, all the things that a business owner does. We've probably learned a, a thing or two over that time that might help a management team um, either perform better or avoid a speed bump or, you know, as we like to say, we're pretty good at hitting curveballs. And when things go bad, y you want to be with people who, who know how to manage through all that. And so our experience was, was, was element number one. And then access to, to capital that was flexible um, and, and, and would provide for opportunities for growth acceleration. And, and that was, you know, really the vision at the outset. And, you know, we, I think we've, we've, we've lived up to the vision that George had and, and, you know, we're at it almost six years and we've done some great things and we're, we're, despite the, the current environment, we're very optimistic about the future for our industry, our business and our company. Yeah. Well, and we'll get into a bit more. Um, and uh, well, I would definitely call uh, Bruins uh, Capital uh, smart money uh, as an you know as an entrepreneur. Uh, if we would be talking to you guys, uh, you know, as you rightly said, you bring not just the money, but you bring an unbelievable amount of experiences and relationships to expand uh, a business beyond, uh, of course, where it maybe is. And I think you've shown that already with Delta Tray and others, which you know was maybe very. European and, and other market focus, and then you took it into the U.S. market. Now, but let's talk some numbers here. So, if I what I at least read is uh, the original round was 250 million, and then of course you were very fortunate to bring another round in just the uh, uh, end of last year, I believe, of another 600 million. Uh, but I've also seen a number of a billion. So, uh, just maybe help me out with the numbers here. Um, how does that all stacks up? Yeah, I think I think that's mostly right. And what what I would tell you is that you know we we um, you know we're, we're very fortunate to to get our start with um, with with the numbers you're referencing, and and um, you know there was uh, an additional uh, infusion of capital along the way as we were building, and and then also very fortunate that um, you know at the end of last year we we closed uh, you know a, a second fund, if you will, yes. with the the backing of CVC and the Jordan Company, as well as some of the wealthy individuals and family offices that that were part of Bruin One and you know we're we're currently um, you know sitting on you know nearly 700 million um, nice. in in dry powder which we're you know we're we're, we're focused on on finding uh, the right platforms and, and businesses and people to deploy as as we go forward awesome and uh, yeah, before we go into into the the second round, in the first one, the two fifty or whatever smaller uh, amount it ended up being, um, you know, at that level, again, you you can only invest obviously in certain sizes. And and I know of course some of the companies you guys invested in. Talk us talk me a bit through that. Um, you know, what was the criteria at that time? Which of course would have changed now with with a larger funding. Um, but what was it sort of really? What was the the, the type of businesses or you then invested in? And, and give us a couple of examples of what worked well. I know one. And yeah. we'll pick on later. Yeah, yeah. Just to be clear, though, we 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 were never constrained by capital. We had a we had you know three hundred million and you know roughly three hundred million in committed capital and and okay. access given given our investors um, that didn't limit our 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 purview on on size of investments. Okay. And in fact, 
in fact, o- over time, we, we, we certainly, you know, bid highly substantial, you know, amounts on, on other enterprises that ultimately didn't come to fruition. But our lens was, was always focused on, you know, finding businesses, you know, for the, mo- for the most part, a minimum uh, of, you know, 10 million in earnings that we thought we could grow and right. we could grow to be as, as big as, uh, as, as the opportunity um, and the platform presented. And we always knew that we were going to deploy capital against great ideas for either tuck-in acquisitions, which is if you look back over the, 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 the course of time through on-location, you know, we added several companies in to build out the infrastructure of on-location experiences and yeah. um, production and, and, and event marketing um, and ultimately the acquisition of Prime Sport and, 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 you know, before we exited earlier this year. Um, and we've done similar with Engine Shop. We, we've done three small tuck-in acquisitions um, here in the U.S. for a marketing agency that, that is part of our portfolio. And, you know, similarly with Delta Tray, we, we, we acquired a, a company massive for them. So our model was, was not necessarily restricted by size, but was really focused on scale and the right businesses and the right people. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, let's stick on uh, for on, on location experience for a minute uh, because that's uh, one of your first exits, I believe. Um, what was the investment, if, if it's something you can share, um, you guys put in? And, and of course, the exit, it, I think it's $660 million, which I read. Um, you know, what was the sort of the ROI, the IIR you had or, or how do you measure, you know, your return on the on the on this particular acquisition? Yeah, what I what I would say is we're, we we don't really speak to the specifics of it, but it, it was a really great return, um, you know, for us and our partners in the business. Um, you know, the NFL was a partner. We were partners with Bird Capital in that, and you know, the objective certainly is to, um, you know, return capital at at, at, at a rate and and at, at a at a return that that works for our investment thesis. And you know, what I, what I would you know way I would answer that would be is we we're not and don't have pressure to do things but when there's opportunities to realize value that makes sense you know like others in the space you'd be wise to pursue that and and we did that with uh with on location and we're we're proud of what we built um and and we're, we're equally proud of of the result yeah now, uh, I do think I remember reading about uh, that your horizon is 10 to 15 years, which sounds very long uh, for, for most sort of private equity groups. Is that correct? Or, or what is it sort of generally what you guys yeah, are looking yeah, at? I'm not, I'm not sure where that comes from. Again, what I would say to you is that, you know, obviously we're, we're set up at some point where, where you do want to return capital, but, you know, we don't feel pressure and, and, you know, don't necessarily think about the exit before we even complete the entry is, is how we... we we talk about it. Hmm. Uh, you know, we're we're focused on uh, building businesses. We've all been builders of businesses throughout our career. George, uh, you know, built NASCAR from from you know a regionalized sport and and brought it on to the, the the largest stage possible in the U.S. And similarly, you know, built the parts of IMG. Um, you know, well beyond what what, what people might have thought, and, and certainly is is a huge reason uh, for the evolution of of the business of college sports. And so we're builders and growers of businesses, and we're focused on working with management teams to build and grow those businesses. And if you build and grow businesses at some point in time, you'll have an opportunity to realize. Um, that value. But if all you ever do is manage a business through the lens of we have to do something by X date or X time invariably, you'll get distracted from what would potentially be an effective business plan and doing what's right for the enterprise growth over an extended period of time. And I think that's, um, 
you know, the, the operator's mentality, albeit with at least of an investment lens on it, um, that, that we're bringing to the things that we're doing. And I think if you look at where we are today and the assets we built and the growth that we've been a part of in the portfolio companies, and you alluded to Delta Tray, where uh, tremendous you know platform and, and business internationally that did not have a U.S. business when we acquired it, and certainly now is um, I got a very robust business and working with you know almost all of the major properties in the U.S. So um, we're we're um, we're practicing what we preach. Definitely, but at the same time, I don't believe you have a Warren Buffett uh, uh, mindset of you know hold forever sort of thing, right? I mean, there is you're looking for an exit uh, at the end of the day. Um, what type of exit is what you you know what is it? Is it a trade sale? Are you you know looking to take company public? What what, what do you see really, or, or what is there a plan? I don't think we have a, a specific preordained outcome that, that we have to achieve. Ultimately, you know, we're, we are set up to return value to our investors. But again, it's not under the, the pressure of any particular time window. So, you know, when it's right, you, you tend to know it's right. And that's when you're building, you're growing. You know, if, if you're growing, um, you know, in double digit percentages every year and your, your margins are healthy, um, you know, they'll be in a time and a place where it makes sense for everybody to transact. And we're, we're, we're focused on building great businesses with great people. And, and the, rest of, uh, the rest of the dynamics of that tend to take care of themselves when you do it. Hmm, interesting. So the investors are, again, then obviously have, very, have a bit of a long-term view in there as well. Um, you know, they're happy to wait or they get, you know, annual returns in some fashion or, or how is the fund structure? Well, that's why I say we're not. Yeah, we don't. Again, we won't get into the specifics of how the, the fund functions. Um, but, you know, certainly our model has been embraced by by our investors and, and our proof of the businesses we're building reflects that. And, you know, like I said, we're anxious to <clears throat> deploy the, the latest round of capital and, and continue to build and do great things with great people and great businesses. Yeah. Yeah, before we get to the big money, uh, I want to talk about courtside ventures. So uh, it sounds like you created almost a bit like uh, you know a VC element to it, where you can invest in smaller tech companies. Um, is that correct? Would that be the right interpretation? Or yeah, I think the the the, the vision and thesis for Bruin has always been about acquiring majority control of businesses, and you know we do we do like management to re retain some equity because we think it creates long term alignment. Um, as part of our model um, on Bruin. And, and when we got started in the early days, um, I think it was always part of George's vision and, and that of some of our early investors, Dan Gilbert in particular, um, who is a, a big believer in, in, in supporting entrepreneurialism and, and particularly in the digital and technology space. And what we realized as we started moving around um, is that there, there was an opportunity there. So we created Courtside Ventures and uh, I believe it was January of 2016, and and you know we we help oversee that. Um, George does, and and um, you know it's enabled us to have a a VC platform managed by you know Vasu uh, Kulkani and and Deepin, um, and they're they're the ones that that run it um, day to day, if you will. And I think uh, we we've made um, I think. 38 or 39 investments, I wouldn't quote me on the exact number, but early stage, Series A, Series B, and a cross-section right. of transformational and disruptive technologies, and it's enabled us to you know, keep uh, an eye on emerging trends and platforms, and 
um, you know, probably makes us all look a, a little cooler and more tech savvy <laughs> than, than we actually are. <laughs> well, that's fair. Uh, and it is obviously very different, right? Uh, startup capital uh, or startup yeah, venture sure. versus yeah, uh, sure. what venture. you're doing, what you're looking great. at. Totally yeah, exactly. different, different space. Um, but I, I'm assuming, and, and maybe and that's why my next question here is that when you do these things, you will look at a lot of cross-fertilization, right? Um, whether it's the startup being able to play with your big boys, uh, your bigger investments, or the other way around. Um, how do you do this? I mean, is there always that constant look for how do you create the one plus one equal three? Yeah, look, we're, again, as operators, we, we tend to know that you, you can't force things. Um, you you got to let things evolve naturally. And what we want to do is create a platform for that creativity and that natural collaboration to mm. to to work together. Um, right. Delta Trey in New York, you know, shares office space um, with Engine Shop. Um, there's times where, um, you know, some of our companies have collaborated on things. And certainly as it relates to the, you know, the startup um, elements and some of the companies at uh, courtside, um, we, we definitely you know made some introductions, and then you tend to let that organically you know flow. But certainly being part of the ecosystem um, and and creating and fostering that platform for collaboration is, uh, I think, one of the lessons and things that you take from your your journey along your career. And we certainly applied that into the Bruin ecosystem. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, like I said, I, I love what you guys do. I've, I spent quite a bit of time on the website earlier, and and I like the the sort of the vision, the values. Um, you know, they're they're uh, they really uh, relate to what I what we do as well as a company. Um, you know, I like the focus, the culture part to it, the big ideas. I think you you really, uh, yeah, you. I think you're capturing all the. The, the right things there. Now, now you, you know, we're, we got in, we're in an interesting time for the industry, right? On one side, you know, most of the business we're dealing with right now, um, or the business we deal with isn't happening, uh, which I'm certain uh, some of your investments are hurting as well. Uh, and at the same time, of course, it opens up this, this huge opportunity to buy into potential new uh, projects for, you know, pennies to the dollar and sitting on 700 million, as you mentioned earlier. So how do you guys balance that, working with your current uh, um, investments and trying to make sure they survive uh, this winter here? Um, and then looking forward, but let's stick to the, the you know dealing with your current guys before we get into. Yeah, the look, we're 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 really proud of 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 all of our management teams and executives in in our various companies. They're they're all navigating the the disruption very well. Um, fortunately for us, we've we've never been um, you know big 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 users of debt and you know financial engineering. We're we're, we're our businesses are all in strong positions from. <clears throat> from that standpoint and have, you know, have really good balance sheets. And, you know, that, that makes you, you know, able to, you know, navigate bumpy waters. And I, I think that, um, you know, sports, um, will reemerge and, and as sports always has been, there'll be part of a unification, um, and, and escape from, you know, what the world's been suffering and living through. And while certain elements of our industry may be different, um, over time, as as the you know vaccine needs to get developed, uh, sports is a is a platform that you know I think is is still got a a very bright future ahead of it. And so we you know we balance out the the comfort and quality with uh, and caliber of our management teams, and at the same time you know keeping uh, our eye and we're involved in several discussions now with with enterprises that we hope uh, you know over time. As the fog gets a, a little clearer, that we'll be able to, to get a couple things done this year, and and you know keep going forward 
um, with uh, the knowledge and the learnings that you know this type of environment is providing uh, the collective industry. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned earlier you uh, you normally take a majority. Uh, is that just fifty one percent, or that is a, a much larger slice? Is there a formula, or not really? No, nah, it's not. There's not necessarily a specific formula. You know, we're we we want to do what's right, um, and you know, we'll we'll we always want to have a great alignment with our management teams, and uh, you usually find the right balance when when you're when you're going to do something. As I as I think has been widely reported as an example. Um, you know, we own 75% of Delta Trey and management, you know, owns 25% as, mm-hmm. as an example. Right, right. Excellent. Yeah. And well, first of all, I, I will hopefully your, your, all your investments and your, and your companies will survive this. Um, it is really uh, cash. It's all about cash flow right now and, and preserving that. Uh, and I'm certain that you guys will be right on this uh, and helping them, supporting them there. And, and hopefully now looking at the, you know, the next uh, whatever year, year and a half until, you know, maybe some of that dust here settles. Uh, clearly, there are plenty of opportunities. Uh, one thing I haven't seen you guys yet in it, but and maybe you haven't hasn't been able to, to work out yet, but yeah, I haven't seen you guys investing in actual clubs or teams um, in you know whatever industry it is, whether it's the NFL or Premier League team or you know Formula One team. Is it something you guys would be looking at, or you continue to focus more on the, let's say, the agent or service provider side of it? Yeah, look, I think we're we're you know you know, you never say never, um, and and yeah, I think you have to take a, a wide lens like we always do when we look at things opportunistically. But you know, certainly a, a lot of our energy and time is spent on <clears throat> on the on the platform businesses that we see across the ecosystem, and whether that's you know OTT, whether that's um, you know digital and you know data driven, you know like like two circles which we acquired earlier this year. Um, you know, brand um, is certainly a huge element of what is is going to emerge in in a post covert environment. And you know, we we've got an investment in a brand strategy and design agency. And so, you know, we're we're looking across the the ecosystem, and and you know, we'll 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 see what opportunities you know present themselves. And we're 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 not really focused on you know buying distressed assets and and broken things we we want to find great businesses with great people and while certainly 2020 is going to be a little bit of a, a speed bump for for a lot of people there's still a lot of great businesses out there and um we're we're we're, we're focused on on finding the great businesses and great people who recognize the unique aspects of our platform and our firm and what we're capable of helping them do um and for those people we think we're a, a welcome uh, a welcome uh, source of, of funding, capital, and resources to help them, you know, fulfill the true vision of their of their businesses. Yeah, no, that's interesting. It, interesting, you said the word uh, you're not looking for distressed assets because distressed asset, in my mind, doesn't have to be a negative, right? Um, if you are a great football team or, or whatever sport it is, um, but currently because uh, you know revenue streams are disappearing, you are struggling, and therefore you know your your price lowers. Um, that wouldn't be necessarily a bad opportunity in my mind. How do you, yeah, how do you see I think that? By, I think by distress, it's more you know broken businesses that need a lot of fixing. That's not our model. It's always, you know there are certainly other people that do that, but we've mm-hmm. we've really been focused on are there platform businesses that we can build and you know is there is there you know potentially going to be a, a a small reset if you will on. Uh, on some of the dynamics of pricing in transactions, uh, you know, I think you know we'll have to see what happens in the future. But um, we're 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 very focused on on great businesses that under uh, under the, the the additional support, guidance, and, and access to capital can excel and grow in 
uh, into the future. Yeah, no, that's a, and I like that. I think it's on the website, which talks about uh, George. Uh, I think he uses the analogy of you know uh, the Wayne Gretzky analogy, right? Don't be where the puck yep. is, but where the puck will be going um, or exactly. moving. Uh, and I think that's sort of really the the essence, I guess, of what you guys are looking for, right? This that type of business. Correct. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, over all the the period of time, and, and we're sort of getting to the wrapping up here, the discussion, which uh, was really fascinating. I love the things you shared with me. Um, what is the biggest learning for yourself, you know, as an individual, um, you know, and if you want to, if any of those nuggets you could pass on over your, you know, career? Yeah, look, I, I think for me, you know, I've been very fortunate to to have mentors and, and people I've learned from along the way. And I think that's an important part of career and professional development is to seek out those people who can help you because nobody succeeds on their own. Um, I, I think you really do need uh, a village of people to help you along the way. And that's your peer group as, as well as people that you may work for. Um, I think it's critical that you know, in a post-collegiate environment that you pursue knowledge on your own um, and, and become uh, someone who absorbs and seeks out <clears throat> information that will help you learn what you need to be successful, um, you know, to take each next step in your career. And you never know when that's going to be. So what you want to do is, you know, arm yourself with the experiences through what you're doing day to day, the relationships, um, who are people who may help uncover those opportunities for you. Uh, and then through your performance, right? You have to work hard and put in an honest day's work. And um, I, I think, you know, it's, it's critically important that you pursue knowledge to help you do that. I'd also add that I think the, the importance of, of developing communication skills to be able to relate to people and communicate with people is um, more important today than it's ever been. <clears throat> because that that re that leads you to building that that network and platform of relationships that um, hopefully as you as you move along in your career um, will will be opportunities to either work together or transact together and you know people like doing business with people they like um, and I think people lose sight of that sometimes as as they're forging you know their their own aspirations and for me that that's been a been a critical critical learning mm. yeah definitely yeah I, I definitely agree to the last statement there right uh, the other part i always love asking my guest is uh what didn't work right um and whether that is not maybe related to something uh is there an investment you guys did which just hasn't worked out or maybe something on a in, in your other career path where you would say mm, yeah we would do that differently now yeah, I think for me the way I'd answer that because uh, I really don't, you know, have many regrets, if you will, on on the various steps in my in my journey, and I've I've had the good fortune to you know travel the world and attend the world's greatest sporting events and 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 work in an industry that is is really at the forefront of dream making is and dream fulfillment as as I like to describe. I mm -hmm. think the the learnings, if you will, or 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 the 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 challenges are are when you know in, in my case when we didn't win a pitch. Um, or, or we lost a client. Um, I think you learn more when you lose in, in business. And if you can apply those learnings um, and get yourself better, um, that's where you're going to win long term. If all you ever do is focus on the things you do great and don't address your weaknesses, um, you, know, you, you can't fulfill your full potential. And I think it's an interesting analogy in business and certainly um, in sports as well, right? Yeah. Um, so. Absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I would totally agree. I think I've, I've learned more in the last 10 years where we made a lot of mistakes than in the first 10 where we made a lot of money. <laughs> so right. uh, it is it is what it is, right? Yeah, the, the scars leave uh, leave much deeper impressions. Uh, and I think that's sort of what you're talking about as well. Now, again, I don't, you might not be able to answer that question, but I ask it anyway. You know, has Bruins, has Bruins had any scars yet or everything has so far worked out um, in terms no, of investments? Look, I, yeah, look, we, you know, and I'll, I'll relate back to what I just said. Certainly there's, you know, there's businesses that there's business that we've pitched because we help create revenue for our businesses, which is, again, something I think that's unique about us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've been fortunate. The things that we've been involved in have, have gone well. But have we <clears throat> lost, you know, lost pitches we were we were we're trying to make for some of our companies? Absolutely. Um, All that's right. The, OK. So you actually getting physically involved in the in the yeah. pitching side as well, because yeah, we, man, that's that's obviously where you come from. Right? That's that's your yeah. whole career has been in, in that. Yeah, space. It's like riding a bike. You know, once you learn it, you don't forget it. Yeah, awesome. I love that. So, all right. OK. So you're not just there really as let's call it uh, sitting on the board and talking to them, you know, every four, three, four months. Um, yeah. You are makes, sort of getting actively calls. involved. Yeah, yeah. We, I'm, I was on two sales calls today for one of our companies. I love it. OK. Awesome. Well, look. David, this was great. Uh, we're just about there in terms of time. Um, you shared a lot of details, uh, which I'm sure everyone will be really interested to, to listen to. Uh, thank you for your time. Good night there in uh, in New York, uh, where you are. And uh, again, I'm sure we'll talk again soon again. Thanks so much, Marcus. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And, uh, and, and hope you and the family stay well amongst all of this. Definitely. Same to you. And, and good night. All right. Thanks, Marcus. Cheers. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this talk uh, between myself and David. Uh, I think there was a lot of amazing insights. Um, but one thing I did forget to mention is that uh, TSA is on a similar mission. Um, we're looking to raise capital now uh, to deploy this here in sports platforms and, and sports companies in Asia. Uh, I see similar huge opportunities here in this part of the world um, to deploy new capital. Um, I've always uh, said that you know in the first 20 years, we generated a half a billion dollars worth of revenue for, uh, for rights holders around the world. And my mission is now to uh, generate a billion in the next 10 years. Um, now that will not just be traditional revenue streams, but also be linked to bringing capital to exciting business platforms, linked to sports, uh, whether it's tech companies, whether it's clubs, leagues in the region. So uh, that's the mission I'm on. And if that is something which sounds of interest, uh, please get in touch uh, and love to talk to you. Thank you. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.